All right, if you are here, you are listening to an episode of Sky King's Mental Playground, Polkadot Web 3, and NFT Edition. So I've been running a podcast for a little over a year. We launched the first ever long-form podcast, NFT, with Bruno, who is episode one on this side of the world. And the entire time, it's been an experiment on the business model of media. We are launching now because I am looking for a technical co-founder. And so I'm going to be putting out all of the episodes that we have focused on around Polkadot, around Kusama, around NFTs, and around Web3 onto this channel, which is free. The other ones were behind a paywall because I do believe media should be paid for. But this is going to be an opportunity to connect, get more audience members, you know, just decrease the friction to listen. If you want to hear the other episodes, we've had some amazing guests, everybody from, you know, Professor Robin Hansen, Chris Williamson, um, a bunch of solo casts, Q&As, stuff like that. You can go to skmp.supercast.com. But, and without further ado, if you would like to build a company, one that is focused on changing the business model of media, one that leverages the power of Web3, but has a UX and experience that feels very native and easy to use. I have a vision for something I am calling Stoa, and I need your help to build it. So I'm going to drop a link like right in the description. If you're interested or anybody you know who you think would be a good fit, even just to have a conversation and to learn more, you can hit that link, fill out the form, and we will be in touch Welcome to this episode of Sky King's Mental Playground. Stability. Don't take yourself too baby. We stand on Sky King's Mental Playground. The, the only loss Breathe. in life is not realizing your potential. Yeah. Build the world you want to see. Yeah. Sky King's Mental Playground. All right, welcome to a very special episode of Sky King's Mental Playground. Today, I am doing a PSA of sorts uh, to try and help all of the young DJs out there, Moon Boys, NFT holders and whatnot help explain what an NFT is to their parents. So today I'm joining me, my mom. Nancy King. And kind of sitting by the sideline is my dad. Larry King. You may hear him, you may not. Uh, We'll see if he feels like jumping in. So the Sisyphistic task today is to try and explain... NFT is going to stay in that lane, maybe go a little bit into crypto. Probably should have done crypto first, but there's no time for that now. And try and help them understand what a NFT is. So we went through a few questions before we started. Uh, just to kick it off, I'm going to answer two of them. The first one being, what is an NFT? And the second is, what is the difference between NFTs and cryptocurrencies? So... And actually, the the second question help answers the first a bit. So an NFT stands for a non-fungible token. So when you think of that in the context of cryptocurrencies, it is similar to a cryptocurrency, and you still use blockchain technology to see it. So it's still done on a public ledger. Anybody, you still use um, Ethereum, uh, Polkadot, Solano, Avalanche wallets to do it. So it's the same cryptography that protects it. It's still a public ledger. So you can go and view any wallet and you can see how many NFTs they have. 
the fundamental difference is an NFT, like a dollar bill, <clears throat> like a, any kind of normal currency, is a fungible token. So what is fungible versus non-fungible? So if I give you a dollar bill and you put it with 100 other $1 bills and you give me a random one from, and you mix them all up and you give me one of those, it's the same exact value. So it's fungible. So you can exchange $1 for any dollar. Every Bitcoin is worth a Bitcoin. Every Ethereum is worth an Ethereum. Every 0.1 Ethereum, 0.0001 Ethereum, 0.00001 Bitcoin is worth 0.0001 Bitcoin. They are indistinguishable from each other. Does that make sense? But you can't interchange them. No, you can, but that doesn't matter. Does it okay. make sense that if I give you a dollar yes. and you give me back and you have a, a pile of $100 and you give me back a dollar, it's the same value? Right. That makes sense, right? Yeah. Like you can wrap your hand around that? Right. Okay. So that's what is called a fungible token. So every cryptocurrency is fungible. Okay. So an NFT is a non-fungible token. So what that means is it's a unique token. Every single one is unique and therefore has the opportunity to hold a different value than another and can be verified that it's unique on the blockchain, which is a public ledger. So like if you really simplify it way, 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 way down, the, the difference between, between like the new monetary system of blockchain-based monetary system and the old monetary system of banking and Federal Reserve and whatnot is opacity and transparency. So every single wallet is viewable. So you can know every wallet that exists out there, how much money is in it. So like we don't, so you guys, you know, historically banked with Bank of the West here. You have no idea how much money Bank of the West is holding. Odds are they're holding one-tenth the amount of money that people have put into the bank because that's how it works is you can lend up to, a t- you, can lend, you can lend a 10 to 1 of what you hold in your reserve as a bank, which is crazy. But, um, but that's what you can legally do. So odds are that's what they're holding. But with cryptocurrencies, it's inherently transparent where you actually get to see what every single wallet is holding. You get to see all the mechanisms of how they print new money, how they inflate the money away, or if they don't at all. And you get to understand that and see that publicly. So like, if you want to simplify all of this, that's the simplest way to look at it. And that actually makes a massive difference for freedom and for opportunity because you now don't have to trust people when they say they have this much money or they're printing this much money or they're making this much thing. You can actually go and verify it on the blockchain and it's publicly known. So go for it. But what can you buy with it? So, yeah, so that's something that people go down to all the time. So I'll answer that for crypto. NFTs, you don't buy stuff with necessarily. You can trade it for money. So you can buy money with an NFT. But you also buy access with NFTs too. Okay, well, let's just go to crypto to answer that question. So right now you can buy plane tickets, houses, um, tickets to events, concerts, uh, I do think there are some like grocery, yeah, there's grocery stores and coffee shops that'll take crypto, but most people will use crypto as more of a store of value because it's so volatile right now and it tends to go up. Like you don't really want to 
use it. But the, the main thing to answer your question is you can buy U.S. dollars with crypto. Anywhere? Uh, online. Online. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So anywhere. Yeah. So all you do, and it takes, like, as I was saying earlier, like, you actually, I would say that crypto is more, depending if you, crypto in your wallet that you hold in your wallet is more liquid than U.S. dollars in a bank. And the reason I say that is because today's Christmas, and if we went to, if we tried, let's say you had two different bank accounts, and you needed to pay something from one bank account, but all of your money was in the other bank account, and you initiated the transaction today, you would not receive that money until Monday at best, probably Tuesday. Whereas if we're in crypto, and I just put something from my ledger wallet into Coinbase, I could... In 30 minutes, no matter what day of the week it is, transfer it into my, ba- my personal bank account right now. So I have access to my money in 30 minutes. You have access to your money in four days. So it's inherently more liquid than traditional monetary system because I actually own it. I actually have it. It's in my backpack. It's not actually in my backpack. My private wallet is in my backpack, but my money is stored on the blockchain. Okay. okay. So then let's go to NFTs. So what can you buy with an NFT? Right. So this is really interesting. So, and this is, I think that NFTs are, a, they're, they're equivalent to back in the 90s when websites and web addresses started happening. Like that's their level of sophistication and opportunity they present is literally its own website. And they kind of are. They're kind of like the websites of the future, like a unique URL. Because you can put whatever you want, just like on a website. So you type in a unique URL with an NFT. It has a unique, uh, like it has a unique code, but it's a, it's essentially a URL. And on that, you attach HTML, which is imagery, on top of it. So it looks like whatever you want it to. So with my pod, so if you own one of the Sky Kings Mental Playground NFTs, what you get access to is you get like an hour conversation with me. Uh, you get access to the highest level of my supercast for free for owning it. You get access to a Discord community where we're building Stoa and we're all discussing it and figuring out how to do it together. And you get early access to what Stoa is going to become in the future, ideally. Um, there are NFTs where when I was in Miami, because I had a few different NFTs, Boonji, I got to go hang out with the artist, this artist, Brendan Murphy. And we toured all of Art Basel together and he introduced us to all of like different artists and different gallery owners and stuff because he's he was an NBA player and then kind of became this artist that kind of was blown up and like a ton of really famous people have his art. So he did an NFT project and I own that NFT project. So I got to hang out with him and go and tour Basel and do all the stuff. And it's verifiable that I own it. So does that make sense of like what I got? Not really. <laughs> it's it's still like the emperors with no clothes. I mean, I still don't get what you're getting. Okay, so what you get, it's 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 property rights on the internet. So, so it's it's basically a, a you be able. It's like a pass that you have to be able to do things. That's one way to look at it. That's one way to look at it. I probably confused you with that. So let's step back a second. What it is is it's property rights on the internet. So. We own this house. Yes. So like... The bank owns the house. So, but like you have the title to it. If somebody comes on, you can tell them to come off. If somebody says, I own that house, you say, no, we own the house. And you have like a verifiable, this is our mortgage. This is our like whatever it is. Right. 
you have a deed, you verify that you own it. So up until the creation of NFTs, there was no really clear way for any kind of creator to verify that they owned something. There were no property rights. Media was just out there. It was, I take a photo on Instagram. Instagram now owns that photo. I do not own the photo. They can take it down whenever they want. They can do whatever they want with it. Now what we have with NFTs is we have property rights. So like I made a podcast, I put it on the internet and I sold it. And I no longer own that podcast and someone else does and they have property rights to it. And those rights can be licensing rights in the real world. They can be whatever it is, but it makes things on the internet scarce. Okay. So they, so, but if people are listening in, do they get a percentage of royalties? So that's stuff that people are building. Like I don't have the lawyers to do that yet, but that's something I do want to do. And there are NFTs that have that as an option where they're like, you can like, so like one's called board ape yacht club and it's these apes, but they actually had like a huge legal team and all these smart contracts where they actually get the rights to it. So they can like, they can license it out to people use it on their album art to like all this different stuff and they get royalties from it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So explain what you, you actually bought when you went to that guy's. So, so when I, so when I went to the Bungie thing, for example, is I was a part of a Dutch auction back in October. um, And I got three NFTs so I can show you what they look like. So they're tangible. Uh, I mean, they're on the internet. Okay. So I own these three NFTs. Only I own these three unique ones. So are they pictures? Yeah. Oh, they're they're art. They're art. Yeah. It's okay. Art. It's media. So it's that one. Okay. That one. So right now I'm showing my boonjis. This is boring for everybody. And that one. So I own these three unique pieces of art, and I can get them printed out and get them on merch. I can, you know, I can, right now there's an offer for. Let's see. I could sell all of them right now for about three grand. There are currently offers. If I just accepted all those offers, it'd be about three grand. I'm I'm not going to accept those. The other ones have these guys right here. So these, I'm showing my Crypto Raiders NFTs. You see those? Yeah. Those are actually people I play as video games and who I level up. And as I level them up, they become more valuable for resale. I've probably made more money off of those characters than any other other than my own NFT project. And like, I've played video games with these people. So, so not only are these, these characters, you know, in video games, I would play Tony Hawk Pro Skater. And then as soon as I turn it off, it was over. And like, I restart. Or if I keep playing, I don't get anything for it. Now, when I play video games, I, not only does it save my progress, but it actually increases the value. So now my time spent playing, becomes, a, video playing game. a video game becomes valuable. Right. So that's what gamers do. Is that what the whole gamer industry is? is... No. So, okay. That's what the new crypto gaming industry is. Okay. So it's play to earn. Okay. Whereas before it was play to play, get clout, win competitions, kind of like tennis stuff where you then have all these sponsors come in and you get prize money for winning. But now it's like, no, your time is actually valued and valuable. Okay. And NFTs allow for that because you have a unique character. There's only one of them. It's non-fungible. And you get to go and play them on the internet. So it is art. It's all art. It's media. Then. Media. Oh, it's media. It's HTML. It doesn't have to even be media, but that's what it is. It's an image. It's art. It's a podcast. Okay. But a podcast is audio. Audio art. It's media. Okay. Don't think of art as an image. Think of art as a media. Okay. okay right? so, a, rapper, so I... a rapper is an artist. 
A podcaster is an artist. A writer is an artist. A painter is an artist. A digital designer is an artist. Oh. Because what you do is you're associating an image, honestly, just HTML code, with a non-fudgeable token. You associate them. So now they're paired. Now they're one, and they can't be So So are people of our generation, who's buying up all these NFTs? What's the average age buying up these NFTs? Definitely young. Right. But there are people of your generation who are. So are the people, young people, also working? So, so, <laughs> so many people have quit their jobs to go into this. It's insane. Yeah. It's madness. And a lot of them very high paying jobs. Like uh, Silicon Valley has never seen a brain drain like they have this year because they all left to go into crypto. Because they heard that call. It's like, do I want to work in ad tech for the rest of my life? Or do I want to go and make something that's going to change the world? It's like the same call that Steve Jobs did to the Pepsi CEO. It's like, do you want to sell sugar water or do you want to change the world? That was a bad choice. So why do you think it's going to change? I mean, why, why do you think it's so much better and it will change the world? So first principle number one is back to that opacity and transparency. The, the, a shift from, like, one of the worst things we have in the United States and in politics and the financial system is this, nobody can see what's going on behind the closed doors. We don't see the deals that are being done. We don't understand how it operates. Most people don't even know that banks can lend out a 10 to 1. So they don't know that actually just one, since all of our money is digital now, they don't realize there's actually one-tenth the amount of money there is in the economy. And if we're, it's all fragile. It's all in a house of cards. If we did a bank run... If like this podcast blew up and every single person decided to go to the Bank of the West, they wouldn't have enough money to give us. It's not real. It's not there. But they've the known money that. Isn't they, but there. they've known that from the depression. But we don't, I mean, that's what I know, happened. But, but people don't act like they know that. They choose. They 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 choose not to behave in that way because there has been no alternative. Because there's been no alternative. But now you have transparency. So what we have is the ability to see at all times how much money is in every account. To see if somebody is saying, "Hey, you should really." check out uh like if to see like hey i think that i don't want to go into vaccines like i think that this new merc drug is awesome and then you go look at their account and you see that from a merc related wallet they received a million dollars you're like oh i don't trust that person like you get to see what people are buying and selling and that shifts completely shifts all of the experience of finances and of collecting and of owning the other thing it does and especially with nfts specifically that was more crypto is you as a creator get to start to hit all the areas of a demand curve. So an economics demand curve is basically what people are willing to pay at what price. And because we sell, because media costs zero dollars, like nominally zero dollars to create a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, a seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth one, we started valuing media really abstractly. And so what they started doing is selling audiences a very small portion. So demand curve goes like this. So it's like someone willing to pay the price up here, very small amount of people. As the price decreases, the area under the curve increases. As the amount of volume increases, it decreases again to the price. Okay. So then if you look at advertising, it probably hits like 20%. That's being pretty generous of the demand curve. With NFTs, you allow people to pay for whatever media they want at whatever price they want it. 
So you're now opening it up to the free market where people can choose to own it, different varying parts of the demand curve, and you start to hit way more area under the curve. The other thing it does is it actually aligns the incentives of the creators and the consumers. Because right now, it's actually an adversarial relationship. So if you think about it as a Trojan horse, what's happening is you are being... The only reason a lot of creators are creating is because they have an advertisement they have to sell. So you think you're watching content, whether it be a shitty reality TV show, the news, a YouTuber, a podcast. You think you're listening to something people care about, but really like they are getting paid to produce content for you because they're being paid for a spot in the content where they try and sell you something, which is probably something you don't want or a small percentage of the people who listen want. And so they're wasting a lot of time. But now it actually becomes aligned where if the people who own my NFTs, they have an incentive to share my podcast. We're actually synergistic now. We both own content. And the more people that they share it with, the more value my podcast has because there will be more demand on owning the NFTs. So it increases the scarcity of the objects they own. So they are incentivized to share the content. So now we're looking the same direction. And now it's like this marketing flywheel where... I want to grow my podcast. They want to grow my podcast. And we're working on the same team because they own a piece and they got in very early. Hmm. And then another reason people want to buy it is because since it's verifiable that there's only one or there's only a thousand or whatever it is, you can start to be a unique part of communities. So that's where going to like the artist thing happens. There's whole conferences where you have these awesome speakers, like the one I'm going to in Denver. If I own uh, their NFT, I get into the conference. And all of the big Ethereum crypto people are going to be at this conference. Like all of the companies, all of the startups, all the speakers, all the friends, all so, the events. And if I own the NFT, I get to go to it. Okay. So, but what I, what concerns me is nobody's working anymore. I mean, who's out there, who's out there keeping transportation going and keeping jobs going and keeping restaurants opening and, the workforce is disappearing. I mean, we've seen it and we're Yeah, we're at this weird it. place where like robots haven't replaced us yet, but like we're at this weird place where like robots haven't replaced us yet, but we did like a bunch of bullshit investment in education and like very strange funding that was like absolutely bonkers so that like we have like these unemployable classes. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that's relevant to this discussion. So maybe it's not relevant so we can But I mean, that's a fair question. There. Hey, it's a podcast. We can go we can go right. My I mean, my opinion on that is I, like I this I'm, is work. Like we are creating something and it's not in the in the real world necessarily, but it is in the future world. Um and in the current world of people on the internet. And I think that like there have to be people to tend the garden of Eden. Um But so you're but you're creating are you creating things that are beautiful? Are you creating things for humanity? It's art. Well, that is the most, like, I think that some of the stuff I've built is some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I'm so stoked that exists. It's literally art. But you say you're making the world a better place, but what, what are you really doing? It's not like you're coming up with some thing to fix homelessness or you're coming up what's the reason so one of the things we actually do talk about all the time on the podcast is homelessness and like how to solve homelessness and so the more people we can get talking about that and realizing that so much of it it comes down to addiction 
then we can actually start to impact it. Like the, I think you under like you worked in PR, so you should understand the power of media. Right. Like this is this gives media a way to monetize directly versus selling ads, which means that creators can focus on having conversations around problems versus spending twenty to thirty to forty percent of their time reading an advertisement. So this is all about getting rid of advertising. This is this is how you can monetize media for the sake of media. So if we can, like my personal bias is getting rid of advertising. But if okay. you look at NFTs in general, like back to the topic, it's how do you like correctly, efficiently monetize media? And decreasing that inefficiency will have, I think, outsized impact on the rest of the world because you then free up people to start to think about a lot of these big problems. Like again, if you go back to why is nobody, why, why is my generation not stepping up to solve some of these big problems is because the smartest people in my generation get paid $200,000 to figure out how to get you to click on something. And so we are liberating them from that. Like I was someone who for the last two years focused on how we sell advertisements and now I'm figuring out how we remove advertisements. And I think that will be like, if it works, I think that will be something that will literally shift how you experience the world. Because you will not, like, if we can take over all of media, you will no longer see advertisements. And at a minimum, you will now have back thousands of hours of your life. SXM, because I don't have to get no ads. To ads. Yeah. Like, and that will fundamentally shift your entire experience. And then think about all of the, so if we go to like climate change, think about all of the wasted products where people build a shitty product full of canola oil that's horrible for you, but they pump it with beautiful design and a ton of advertisements. They hit all their target audience and now it's everywhere on the shelves. Yeah. And now we have a sicker population. Yeah. So basically you'll be impacting health in a positive who knows, way. Who knows what the outcome will be. Right. But we have created one, I think in my mind, it's the biggest opportunity for an increase in efficiency and for positive outcomes. And then to, and so like NFTs as a whole. So to answer more specifically, a lot of your questions, some things that are super cool. So there's this one DAO that I'm looking into. And um, essentially what it does, if you buy one of their NFTs, that money goes towards removing plastic in the ocean. And so they're using this to fund removing plastic in the ocean. I was a part of another DAO, and this is crypto-based, where we actually tried to buy the constitution. So we raised as a collective, raised $48 million. And there's 10 constitutions in the world of the U.S. And one of them was on auction at Sotheby's. And we were like second to buying it and missed it. Uh, Ended up making like 4X the money that I put into it because it randomly just started spiking after we missed it and I sold it. But it was wild. Like there's all of these creative things where we now have the ability as a group of people, more of a direct democracy to align our finances and incentives to see a world we want to realize. So that's happening a ton with like ocean cleanup. It's happening with, you know, art, like artifacts with, let me think of a few other examples. Like it's, this is all happening now because we, so like a huge thing that you see in the world and you probably have never heard this term, but it's called a collective action problem. So it's when you have, you know, uh, a bunch of smoke going into the atmosphere, like carbon that could be seen as one, like the plastic ocean could be seen as one. It's basically where like a bunch of people are living in a place and nobody assumes specific responsibility. Mm -hmm. So with crypto, you can start to solve collection action problems. So imagine that every time the the little trail in Austin, every time I say I had it like, so my friend is building city coins. So they built one for Miami and New York. And imagine that every time I ran on the trail or like stepped in, I just got a little bing. I didn't have to do anything. I just got it off my wallet and my phone 0.1 ATX coin. 
and every single person that happened to him at the end of the year, they got to use that money directly to clean the trail, to right. clean up stuff, to build beautiful things. What right. if instead of taxes, we actually just got dinged for what we used in a community right. and now we can start to optimize the community and we can do like the technology is here and we can do these through these coins where if we pay all of our taxes in these city coins where it's like okay cool i never once went to the public library so that's not where my tax money is going to go like i never once you know whatever we're like i didn't shoot a gun so like yeah like the nra gets zero dollars this year from public funding like whatever that would be like you get to actually have it based on uses and you yeah. start to be able to optimize based on what people are actually doing and using. We have the technology to do that now. Right. And that can happen by owning these NFTs or cryptocurrencies. Ah. So where they say this younger generation isn't getting involved in politics, it's totally contrary. They're going to no, no. change it. They're going to change... Is a, politics is a stupid game. The only people who get in politics are people who fail to be in reality TV shows. Like if you look at The Squad or you look at Marjorie Taylor Greene or whatever her name is. Right. They're fucking whack jobs who just want to be famous and just want to get rich as fuck. Like the amount of insider trading that is going on in Congress right now is actually insane. Like if I were Martha Stewart, I would be pissed. Um, She went to jail for insider trading. trading. And like her entire generation is just selling us down the line because they, they sold their stock before they closed everything during the pandemic. Like knowing it was going to crash. Like it's insane what they are doing to us right now. And like, it's, Anybody who wants to get involved in that game, you have to question their their morals. Integrity, yeah. Because it's a bad game. Because like it's really strange popularity game versus the game of creation. So and so what? And you're... they're not fixing homelessness, mom. Like if you look right. at LA, worst, there's worst reason for democracy. It's, it's a bad reason. And like if you look at look at homelessness. So what what city in the U.S. has the worst homelessness problem? San Francisco. LA. San Francisco has a bad one, but the population's way smaller. So LA is like somewhere between 60 and 100,000 homeless people. So more people than the entire island of Kauai are as a homeless population in LA. Kauai is 70,000 people. Okay. There are an entire team. There's like a homeless czar, an entire branch of the government there to fix homelessness. What happens if they, they get paid multi-six figures, like 140 to like 300K, depending on their position, right. a year? What happens if they fix homelessness? They lose their, they lose their job. Right. So are they fixing homelessness? They're, they're probably not. They're saying a lot of right, shit. Right. They're saying like unhoused. They're saying the right words. They're making sure they feel safe. But why would they, why would they fix homelessness? Their entire livelihood depends on homelessness. Existing. Yeah. You have to look at the incentives. And this is where that transparency opacity thing is so important. Because right. now you get to see every time someone tells a story you get to see why they're telling that story. You know, like, why am I saying this so hard? It's like, oh, I have like 20 NFTs available right now. If they all go buy it, I get like $30,000. Like, thanks, guys. Um, but you can see that. And right. you know that like, right. cool, that's his lend. That's well, his even, image. Even doctors are incentivized to do more. <laughs> Dude, it's crazy. So like, we've we've definitely like went harder on pharmaceuticals in the last year up until this year. Whereas like, Right now, we have the greatest pharmaceutical marketing campaign of all time, like breaking all of the laws, but whatever. Um, but before this, like we used to in cancer, before I worked in cancer, we used to be able to pay doctors to use a specific drug where they would get bonuses and they could like for using a specific drug. So they got paid more to use a specific one in cancer throughout the 90s and early 2000s. 
So of course they're going to use that drug. And again, this isn't about like individual calling individual doctors bad. Like I think there are plenty of individual doctors who made the right choice for their patient. That's not what I'm saying. But when you create incentives that are antithetical to the outcome you want, you're just setting up the opportunity for bad behavior. And not every there are heroes. Like there are good people. Right. There are also bad people. Right. Well, and there are also people who are just like, well, it's easier for me to do the wrong thing than the right thing. And we have to set up structures that don't allow for moral hazards. Right. Well, I mean, dig, I mean, even our hospital right now. Be careful. This is a podcast. Yeah. So, sure well, say that? yeah. But even our hospital creates the incentive for doctors to make more RVUs and that's how they're paid. So obviously they want to do more procedures. And so then that just kind of snowballs. I mean, yes. They're looking out for the best for the patient, but still incentive, their incentive is wrong based on their pay. Yeah. People are just like, they, they behave to their incentives without a doubt. Right. But, you know, physicians are sometimes paid, but based on the amount they, the amount of procedures they do basically. Mm -hmm. And the amount of procedures they run through a hospital. Yeah. Which means they want to need to move fast, see as many patients as possible. Right. And yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, and it's it's not. I don't mean to say this to say that like everything we're doing is wrong and like blah 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 blah. It's horrible. It's just that we need to be. I think that we need to be more careful and to think, you know, a little bit second and third order consequences about the incentives that we have. And that's the beautiful thing about NFTs is you start to be able because you give ownership. So it's kind of like communism, but except everyone actually owns everything as opposed to nobody owning anything. Okay. So, but if you take the, the normal population that we've been trained and we're going through high school and then they go to a college and they're learning a career, are people not going into these careers or are they just diversifying themselves? Okay. So during- that, that, that thing you just spoke about, that's an archaic system, which was built when we were a manufacturing country because you needed to teach people how to be robots. You needed them to teach them how to sit, how to listen, how to input, how to head out, how to hear a bell, go back inside. And so what you're talking about is a leftover model from the industrial revolution that was very, very elegantly built for that type of workforce when we were able to build middle-class people, people who could afford to live the American dream, quote-unquote American dream, doing manual labor. That is not a world that exists in America anymore. We shipped all of our jobs off seas. We're going to replace the jobs with robots anyway. So like we just sped it up a little bit. So we actually, so like that whole narrative existed and no longer exists. There is no that at the end of it. There is no middle class at the end of that job line. It doesn't exist anymore. So, so what, what we're doing now is we actually, and why you've seen Gen Z and younger millennials bypass Gen X and, and, and middle millennials is because we are actually in this place where we said like, fuck that. And we're actually going out and building our own path off of the new systems. And so it's, and it's literally in the face of everything. Like you want to be more famous and more successful, be less politically correct. Whereas the old system was you want to be more famous and more successful, be more politically correct. Hmm. But but how I guess it comes back to so you spend your day creating stuff that people want to listen to. I mean, how does the average Joe make a living? Okay. Technology. Technology 
has relieved us from the boredom of manual labor, but we still create manual labor. That's the problem. It is interesting. Like, so the idea, so the, the goal of technology was always to free time. That was the goal. You, you increase leverage. But like, we're just always been this like really weird zone where we keep increasing the population and like never increasing leverage enough. Growth isn't happening at the rate it should. A lot of like strange things going on. Um, to answer your question about the average Joe, right now, if you have $10,000 and time and curiosity, you can go and research on Discord, a free app. You can go and research and research and learn and understand community and understand what's going on in this space. And you can become a millionaire. And there is nowhere in a year and there's nowhere else in the world where the average Joe has more opportunity than in crypto. Because all you need is time. And you don't even need $10,000. If you have $1,000, it'll take a little bit longer to 10x it. But like all you have the opportunity for informational advantage right now, which in investing is the most important thing. Because if you can get on Discord and you can just go into all these groups and get a really good Twitter you can make an insane amount of money. That was a big reason I got rid of my agency is because the opportunity cost was so high. Because every hour I was spending talking to a client who's paying like 3,500 bucks a month or whatever was in my mind costing me tens of thousands of dollars. It's, it's just so mind boggling. It doesn't, I guess it doesn't make sense because we're trying to figure out what it looks like. I, I can see where it's heading. And I think it makes sense because I do believe in terms of taxes and you should only be taxed on what you use. And What do you but, think but about I, people who buy fine art and invest in fine art and then sell it for a lot of money? Does that make sense? Yeah. Why? Well, there's only a very specific population that can afford that. Mm-hmm. But now... It's a very small population. For sure. But But now... Everybody can afford a very scarce piece of art. Yes. Anybody can afford a very popular okay, so, scarce piece okay, of art. Okay, but then go back to who's going to build all the roads? Who's going to replace all the The old road the is going to die. The infrastructure is going to die. We have not cared about it. Our infrastructure is corrupt. It's, it has not evolved in innovation in 40 years. It is dying. It is gone. The U.S. has already peaked. We're over Okay, like, so now no one's worried about that. But the anymore. but the millennials are now going to come up with a way to people that use that road. They're going to pay for it, and they're going to then create the workforce to get the roads rebuilt. No, the, how are they going to be done? How are you going to drive? Leave. How are you going to drive your car? We're going to leave. Leave where? So we are. So the U.S. is playing a weird political game. We're focused on a bunch of issues that don't matter. We're trying to create internal hate in the entire country. Like it is, it is, it is, is an empire that is past. So like my generation is going to be global. We're globalists. Like we're global citizens, you know, grew up traveling everywhere. This world is past. Like this country is past. The the government doesn't function anymore. It's, it's corrupt now. It's being taken over by like, you watch what happened to Bernie in two different elections. It's corrupt. You have a moral left who thinks that rights are inherently racist, uh, killing millions of people, gun owning, whatever. You have 
uh, elite left class who like is heavily associated with pedophiles and crazy amount of uh, crazy amounts of corporate money. Like insane, like the Clintons are one of the richest people in America now. Obama's getting hundreds of millions of dollars after being president. Very odd, like strange things like that. Very corrupt stuff going on. Trump, obviously, massively corrupt, wouldn't even share his taxes. Like he didn't even get rid of his businesses while he was president. From basically, I don't know if it was ever good, but like definitely from post gold standard in the 70s. Like Nixon onward, it's just been. I actually really think it happened with Reagan. So, like, Roger Stone started really allowing lobbying to happen in the United States right around Reagan. And that's when things started getting very, very wonky. So, but so what you're saying is that government should step aside, that this whole millennial group is going to come in and they're going to solve the problems, just the basic. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that in an ideal world, we would have no money in politics and lobbyists would not exist. And, you know, we would figure out a different system for governance. Dad likes the lottery system. We could do that. Some sort of different system because this is not working. But that battle, all the incentives of the old guard, all of your generation is fighting to make sure this system continues to exist. And I think what my generation has realized is there's no point in playing your guys' games. And when we can just move to Singapore or we can just move to Costa Rica, live a higher quality of life with cleaner air, better internet, no taxes. Why would we come in and play your guys' game, which is an inherently bad, like there are, there are constructive and destructive games. And your politics, your generation's politics game, your media game is a bad game. And we will let you destroy the world and said, we'll go and live in our own paradises. Like, I think that's the reality of what's going to happen. So you have no incentive to help it be, become better in the U.S. The, or change it. You make it better by leaking. You vote with your feet. You vote with your feet. They have you to, once they realize feet. that once they realize the commodity of the government is the people. And once the government realizes that when all of their tax paying, like California, it's happening to right now. All of the big net worth individuals are fucking sick of it. They're moving to Texas and Florida. And so now what happens? Literally, California senator tweeted out, fuck Elon Musk. Do you know what he said? Message heard. Literally tweeted that back to her. Move to Texas. Yeah. Billions of dollars in taxes off of Tesla, SpaceX, now on Texas. Hmm. Like we, we like, there's no reason to play your games. Uh, yeah. But, but at some point there's gotta be this, the con- the country is like one of the strongest powerhouses in the world. So is Rome. And you just think it's going to crumble and you, Gen X isn't going to help save it. Gen X was put down by, by the, by the great generation and by baby boomers. They were never allowed to exist. If you, so like. If you go back historically, Gen X should be the a Gen X should be the CEO of every company, should be the president of every university. As of 2018, there were two Gen X presidents of the top 30 universities, and there were like it was like five percent of CEOs were Gen X. Baby boomers never moved on. We have the oldest in the era of the internet. We had the oldest presidential election of all time when not a single person under the age of 40 wanted either of those people to be elected or even thinks they should have the mental capacity to do the job. Like you have like your generation, I know you guys are a little bit different generations, but your generations have 
built a world that is environmentally unstable is like, I, I honestly like to go a little bit deep into it, dad. Like I think it comes a lot from baby boomers because of the cold war mentality where you grew up in a world in high school and in middle school where you didn't know if you were going to exist to the next day. So your concept is instead of thinking long-term, your concept is I'm just going to enjoy what I have, or I'm going to amass a lot of power, which is a lot of your generation has never given up power. Like the fact that Biden is a year younger than you is insane. Like how old were presidents when you were, when you were a kid? Well, when I was a kid, uh, FDR was still president and, uh, you know, he was in his sixties. Yeah, he was the old 60, though. <laughs> he, had been, he had been around four, four elections. Yeah, it was cycles. the closest we ever had having a dictator. But uh, Eisenhower was a former general, and and then uh, JFK. JFK was 40 or 50. No, I think it's 40. 40 or 50. Yeah, that's the way it goes. But uh, you're right. Power is what people are holding on to, and it's baby boomers, and uh, they don't go quickly. They're not. And if we even look into COVID, like, I think it's, I think that it is a crazy world where, and I'm not saying we should in any way devalue any age, but it's a crazy world where we decide to punish, where the older generation for their own safety decides to massively punish the future generations, which is essentially what happened with COVID. Like if you think of what we did with children in school, like so like the U S wage gap is the largest it's ever been, or at least since the industrial revolution, we have so many children who don't have access to food, good education. And when they do get it, it's when they get it at school. And then we took them out of school for two years because we wanted to make sure like the congressmen, the leaders of America don't get sick and die of a disease that they will never get sick of. We isolated them, didn't feed them, and didn't educate the poorest future of America. And any culture who's willing, any culture who's willing to sacrifice the youth for the old, I think is a sick culture. It's sick. It's sick. Well, they, there were many programs that kept lunches, things going for the kids. There were. They were out there. And, get, and they built up over time. Yes. But it wasn't and, and, in the beginning. It wasn't in the beginning, and a lot of people struggled in the beginning. And there were and they still struggled. My, my, Stephen is, uh, teaches in Arizona, all underprivileged youth. It's brutal. Right, right. So I think... The private we, schools did fine. Any school that made money did fine. They went back to school really fast. It took like three months. Yeah. But the okay. public schools didn't. Okay, so go back to NFTs. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's where we started. <laughs> this is a podcast. This is a so, podcast. Ha, I, I guess wrapping my arms around it, it's a way for people to, it, it's, it basically just is a way to usurp the government, not usurp the government. No, no, but- no, 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 no. What it does. Okay, so uh, maybe this is too heady, maybe not. Why do things have value? It only has because you buy if you want it for if okay, they so, have value because you value it and it you have a need for it. Cool, perfect. So mm-hmm. that can be said more generally as supply and demand. Band, yeah, right. So 
what supply means is you value it, other people value it, and there's scarcity. What demand means is there's a utility with it, potentially, what you can do with it. So, like, looking at those, like, two core concepts. So, with an NFT, you have a supply of one for every NFT. It can be collected into, like, a, a project where with a limited supply still, but it'll give you then a utility. And I think, like, you understand scarcity, right? So you right. understand, you know, if this was the only bottle of champagne in California right now, we would be able to sell that for a million dollars. Yeah. The bottles were 20 bucks, 25 bucks. Right. But if it was the only one in California, there'd be people up lining up for that. To, to buy it, right? So scarcity. Utility. So, like, why own a bottle of wine? Two things. One, contents of it. There's a use. You can get intoxicated from it. You feel a little bit loose. You might like fall in love that night. You might get really angry and beat your wife. Like whatever. Like it changes your behavior. Uh, the other utility is it's the only one, so it has value because other people want it. So it's called mimetic desire. Okay. So fundamental principle of humanity is that we want, and we were re- we evolved this way, what other people want. Right. Because it makes us aligned with the group. It becomes cohesive. It becomes a signal signal status so now what you can do with an nft is you can create a community of people so like what i'm working on right now is to find a thousand other people who want to see the world that i want to see to see that sees that like decreasing advertising and creating a new monetization system that allows people to monetize directly their audience in a way that's fun and entertaining and engaging is a world they want to see And I'm trying to find those people right now. And I'm doing that through my NFTs. And they prove that they're one of those people by putting skin in the game by buying one of these NFTs and joining this movement. And that'll get them early access to everything that we do. But it's also a signaling thing that like, oh, they're in my team. Right. Like instead of being like, oh, I'm a United States citizen. It's like, no, I believe in this concept. I be- this is the most important thing in the world to me is this concept. I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is. Or at least it's enough for me to pay 500 bucks to do it. And it's not just where like in Patreon, you just get 500 bucks and it's whatever. It's actually like, no, I now own this part of it. So there's the scarcity thing. So I'm an owner in it. So then utility. And that's where like, I think I might've confused you a bit, but it's like some of the utility options can be, you go to conferences, you get airdrops. So you get like tokens from when it actually happens. Like most people who own Skyking Mental Playground NFTs, We'll get an airdrop from Stoa when it happens because they're early believers. They supported the project. They then get stuff that's very valuable in addition to what they have. But you also get access, again, to conferences. You get access to wine bottle clubs. So, like, there's wine clubs who sell an NFT, and that's your membership to the wine club for three years. And let's say you go on hard times or you stop drinking alcohol or you got too much wine in your wine club. So, every month you don't want to get it. You can go to the open market and sell it to somebody else, and now they get the wine. And you made money off of that because it was something that people wanted. Oh, okay. It's, it's kind of like a little network marketing, it a little network. bit. Yeah, it is. No, it very much is. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. You're creating communities. You're, you're creating your own community. community. And everybody owns part of it. Yeah. But that's the same thing in network marketing. The book that I gave you, Sky, mm-hmm. because what I offered the women that's started the breakaway tournament 
was the opportunity to own women's tennis. Yeah. Eight months before they broke away. And they're too scared to, though, right? They had no interest in doing it yeah. when I I could have set them up as a corporation. They could have owned the future women's tennis. Yeah. They were all afraid. They didn't want to buck the system. They yeah. didn't want to go out on their own. They didn't want to prove that women's tennis was valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Billie Jean couldn't get them to agree to complain. Yeah. And this is why you have an entire generation going into crypto is because we have nothing to lose. All we have is student debt and a failing government. So like, fuck it. <laughs> it's not much of a system to buck at this point. Um, and the opportunities are insane. Like it is like you can create a community around any problem you want to solve, whether it's buying the constitution, cleaning the ocean, you can pr- build these entire systems and you get to work together with people that you don't even know who they are. We did this in women's tennis. We created a business and Billie Jean and I made $10 million and we were just kids out of college. So we're doing. Okay. And the cool thing is like, I can work, let's say, people are probably really tired of this, but let's, let's say that there is a, a gay dude in Nigeria who identifies as a woman. He can have a woman avatar with a woman name. And on the internet, I can think that that human is a woman. And I have no idea who they are. I never need to know who they are. I know what's in their wallet and I know what they contribute to the team. I never have to ask who they are. I never have to meet them. All I'm meriting their value on and what they're being paid for is the work that they do, however they look, feel, exist in any way. True equality. Right. So there's no discrimination. And they can be gay to me. They can be like, they can be whatever they want to me. And in a world where if they went out and were gay publicly, they would get killed in Palestine and Nigeria or a woman in Saudi Arabia. She can be a developer working on a blockchain project, making millions of dollars a year. The government doesn't have to know. It's all online. Can be like filed through multiple different estates. Doesn't matter. And she can be working, producing for her family, have that freedom as a pseudonym with a fake image and a fake name. My Discord name is Muadib. I'm not worried about being pseudonistic, but so it's like nobody knows who like the people I interact with unless they listen to podcasts and stuff that it's me. Like my friends know it's me, but most of the people I interact with see a little image of like a bungee and then that name. Hmm. And you can work across the world on that's why we don't really care about what's going on in the US because it's global. I'm working with people in Brazil, in Europe, in Singapore, in Saudi Arabia, like it's. We're collaborating all over the world to try and build a world that we want to see and to have freedom be evenly distributed. Because, like, we love to shit on the United States. And, like, the one thing it does have, and, like, you know, it got a lot of shit during COVID because they tried to restrict a lot of freedoms. And a lot of Republicans were like, fuck you. But I'm kind of grateful for them because I got to just live a normal life for the last two years. But, like, most of the world doesn't have any amount of freedom. Like, even the countries that were free this year the last two years and not experience it. Like I would not be called locked in your house for 200 days out of 365, any amount of freedom for being arrested, asked what's in your cup to make sure you had coffee in your cup and you weren't just faking it without having a mask on happened in Australia. Hmm. People were beaten by police for walking around outside when we know that COVID doesn't spread outside in a Western country. But like, we now have the opportunity for all of us who believe in this future to go work on what it is together online and get paid for it. 
And that's like the promise of crypto, the promise of NFTs. Like that's what all of this is doing. So what, how long do you think this will, this will take to change the world? I mean, no, it's happening now. We almost just bought the constitution. A constitution, one of 11. One of 11. It's pretty fucking crazy though. <laughs> I almost just own a part of the constitution. So, but, but in terms of reality. What is reality, mom? So how long do you think this change will take? So are you really, so I mean, right you're now, starting we started to financial see systems, right? So we changed financial systems. Now people have a store of value. So if you're in Venezuela, if you're in the U.S. in the next year, if you are wherever you are and you're dealing with hyperinflation, you now can go into Bitcoin. You can store value. And you can have a currency that goes up instead of down. So that change, okay. and you, this is what people don't realize is financial, we live in a capitalist society. Financial is the only system that matters. That's what everybody is. That's what everybody does. That's the game that everybody's choosing to play. So we just changed the most important game. Right. And it's funny because like people think that like, people have this myopic view of where the world is right now. And they're thinking like, oh, we have this, we have that. And it's like, no, no, no. China's playing a very different game than we are. They are starting to have a lot of countries in the world need to use the Chinese currency and all it takes to become the global reserve currency is to have 51% of nations holding it. Right. So like then you become the global reserve currency. So really the real race and the real Testament of what we can do is if Bitcoin can become the global reserve currency before the RMB does before China does, because us is losing their status, right? We have insane amount of debt. We are inflating our money away. Like the only reason, the only reason we have this state where we're not paying back our debt and we're just printing more money is because we have the biggest military in the world, but that's changing fast. China's getting very aggressive. So like in, in your lifetime, the U S will, unless it changes dramatically, will not be the global reserve currency. So when that happens now, we now don't have stability and we don't have the ability to print as much money as we want, because actually we're going to start valuing our money off of a different currency. And I think my ideal world is it's Bitcoin the most likely outcome right now, other than Bitcoin, is the RMB. Because China's going after it aggressively. And they're doing it through the Belt and Road Initiative. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. But essentially what they're doing is they're going into African Latin American countries, Middle Eastern countries. They're giving a massive infrastructure, building infrastructure. And then they'll, they still own the infrastructure, but sometimes they'll have to use Chinese currency to access the infrastructure or the ability to turn that on when they need to. So they're building airports. Like I don't know if you guys saw the thing that happened recently in, I think it was Nigeria... Or Naomi, they owned the airport and there's a disagreement between the governments because they're defaulting on the building of the airport debt. And so China closed the airport to them. Their own national airport. Uh, closed it. Scary. Chinese are here for a long time. 5,000 years. They're not, uh, not going to roll over. It's really interesting. It's like both a very old nation and a young nation because they deleted their whole history. But so that's one of the fundamental ways to change the world. Next is where we're starting to do, do it in these small communities. So financial is first. It already has shifted the financial world. Right. Forever. Not going There's away. not going back. Not going backwards. No. It's volatile. It's volatile, but it's also on the long not. Okay. Bitcoin on its history is literally this. Like if you look at it, like if you look at it on a thousand year time scale, Bitcoin is this. It's not this. It's right here. It was three cents in 2009. Yeah. $50,000 today. Yeah. And it's only decreasing in how many get printed every year. So right now there are about 19 million Bitcoin printed. In the next hundred years, there will only be 2 million more printed. That's all the Bitcoin there will ever be in the world. 
and everybody wants it. China tried. China tries every single year, three times a year to try and hurt it in some way. The most recent one is they got rid of miners. It took us four months to get our hash rate, the amount of people computing Bitcoin for like computing for it. Took us four months to get back to where we were the day after China made that announcement. Huh. It's unstoppable at this point. So financial system is the first thing. Second thing is media. So now how do we allow creators and artists so to actually monetize their work? That's where that's you're what I'm focusing doing. on. That's what I'm doing. Okay. So now that we can, like my vision, the thing I'm trying to build is what if we can make this concept of a thousand true fans, that anybody who has a thousand people listening to them, following them, should be able to do that full-time. I consider full-time six figures. So if we, so six figures is a little over 8K a month. So with a thousand fans, that's each fan paying a, eight, eight bucks for media. So how do we build a world where each person pays eight bucks a month? Doesn't seem Netflix too crazy. does it. Exactly. It doesn't seem too crazy. And so this is where we have these games that I'm building on top of these podcasts to be able to do that. And that's what NFT does. So now that you have creators who are creating for the sake of creating, creating sincere media for audiences who like them for what they create. Like what kind of conversations do we have now? Like CNN dies, Fox News dies, all of these crazy, like boring, like insincere medias just die. And now we get to the ability to have sincere communications where we have long form conversations. Right. But who's to say that your bias is any different from someone else's bias? That's not. That's that's, everybody's bias is different, which is cool. But I want my bias and your bias to be out on the table. I don't want to know a third-party bias that's being paid to say something because that's where their paycheck's coming from. The goal is to hear everyone's bias as opposed to being coerced to say something because that's where your paycheck comes from. Right. It's not about being right or wrong. Like, this is where like <clears throat> where I don't fall left or right because like it's impossible to know. Like evolution, like I fall more into evolution, and evolution says that we will never know what's coming up. So we don't know what the gene is that's gonna exist. You know, they're like, if you go back to Homo sapiens and Homo erectus and Homo neanderthals, one of the theories on why Homo sapiens survived where Homo erectus didn't is because they had smaller brains. So smaller Homo sapiens had smaller brains. Our brain takes the majority of our calories. So during famine, Homo sapiens lived longer than Homo erectus. So they are literally had a less, like right now we're all intellectual, right? So we would think like the people with the highest IQs, highest intellect is the best. But we actually don't know because we don't know a black swan. We know a black swan events always happen, which is uh, that is so like if you look at a, look at a bell curve, bell curve is evenly distributed odds. The majority of likelihood happens in the middle. That's where all the majority is. But on each side, good and bad, there are one it, out of 100 times always happens once. There's always that very unknown event, right. very unlikely, but it always happens once. Right. And we don't know what's going to prepare us for that. So, like, in my mind, what we're actually doing is we are trying to build a world where we have so many different systems, so many different thought leaders, that it allows for, you know, when the great volcano happens and there is, you know, the 30,000 wahoos who live underground and we all above ground die, they get to continue on the human species and consciousness. Like, I don't want to be a part of that community. I'm not living underground. I like the sun. But I want a world where people can choose to do that because we don't know what's coming up in the future. And that's where, like, I'm not, I'm very agnostic to the country I live in, to to the type of government I live in, because I would rather see a world of 
7,000 governments with a million different people, with a million people in each government of a 7 billion person earth. Geographic agnostic, but building different systems because we don't know the system that's going to work. It is impossible for us to know. Right. We're all ants. We're all ants. And that's where I'm really afraid of like these centralized media systems because they act as if truth is obvious. And if you don't believe the truth, you're a bad person. And that's literally false. Like it's unknowable. Well, that's where, that's what happened this year. That's what happened in the last two years. I mean, it has, it's been crazy. Yeah. It's been wild. Like the world fell apart. I had the two best years of my life. (laughs) (laughs) I go to the only, like the only downside for all of COVID for me are like Bunny and Luigi. Bunny and Luigi, which are two sad things. I think of Bunny as a, Luigi died of COVID. Bunny died from COVID. She stopped eating, stopped being seen. People weren't allowed to visit her anymore. Right. You weren't allowed to go into nursing homes. Yeah. She was going to die, but it was expedited by the fact that her community wasn't allowed to experience her. I think the the saddest thing is the people died alone. All the people died alone. All the people died alone. That's If me me when I got COVID, I'm like, fuck that. Like, so one of the things I'm even doing, and you guys should do too, is I can help you guys do this. You can actually write into your will, or you will be taken out of the hospital for it. You can write that in before you go on. You don't have to sign the papers. You can legally do it. And then like we can be, if, if something were to happen, we could be there. Yeah. I have no, I have no worry about being there if you're dying. Like, you know what I mean? Like the idea of somebody having to sit there and die alone and not be able to breathe without their loved ones is literally like, I think the way you die is incredibly important. It's yeah. pure torture. And it was yeah. done. Like it's, it's really crazy because f- safety is actually always antithetical to freedom. When you look at the authoritarian states, yeah, so always safety. Always safety. And science is antithetical to safety as well. When you look at the authoritarian states, they're anti-science because they're pro-safety. If you science is something that questions everything, which is unsafe, which is why you have no scientific breakthroughs in an authoritarian nation, which is why China steals all of our science. Yeah. Okay, NFTs. So who buys NFTs? <laughs> no, how do you market NFTs? That was a really interesting question. And the adoption cycle of NFTs. So like the way I view the adoption cycle of NFTs is and what we're trying to do with Stowe is we're going to make it feel like a normal app where you just go on your phone and you don't even really know that you're operating in a cryptocurrency or you're getting NFTs. It just seems like you own a little image like on your Instagram and you can then trade it out for money if you want to. But right now in the way I'm doing the adoption cycle of Stowe is we're going to focus on crypto native people. So people who are non-muggles who like grew up in the wizard world of crypto. So, so we call non-crypto people muggles. Just like Harry Potter. Like Harry Potter. Okay. And it, the reason why muggle is a very important term. Yeah, it's great. And the reason why it's an important term is because some people use it as a derogatory term, but some people don't. It's just people who just haven't been exposed to magic yet. But everybody, like Hermione, has the ability to be a wizard if you're curious and want to enter the world. So that's why muggle is like a very appropriate term. Okay. Um, so we'll start with, so the way I'm doing Stoa is we're going to start with crypto native people and kind of be trying to be the media outlet or the media platform for cryptocurrencies and for people building crypto projects. Then we're going to go into my clients because I have a relationship with them. We already have the podcast, you know, between all my clients, I've collective probably like 5 million, 6 million listeners. Uh, yeah, probably 6 million. And that's a lot of people thinking that there's only a hundred million people listen to podcasts. So I like in my client base, I have 6% of those that's people. Great. Pretty good. So starting up, then we're going to go after people who podcast from in our, in the top 100 to 200, because that category on iTunes and all the different, so in all the subcategories, they don't have the ability to make any money yet. 
So they can have 5,000 people listening, 10,000 people listening. They don't make any money off that. If they did it with you, they would make money from day one. Exactly. So we're going to, and I already have a sales team built out with all, I have all of their emails. I have every podcast email in the world, 2 million emails. And we're just going to go after them and show them what we've built over these two iterations of audiences. And Lami and I will buy, buy an EFT. Buy an NFT? NFT. Yeah, 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 yeah. You guys should get one. Um, and so we're going to go in and, and build that. We don't listen to podcasts. We'll buy one. Get an NFT. Let's go. So I think I won this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So then. So it wasn't part, a win-lose. It was an understanding. It's a win-win. Exactly. Win-win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We still don't get it, Sky, <laughs> but we do know that if you you form your own community, you can lead your own community. You can lead your own community. And that's what it is. It allows people to not just like, hey, I'm in this community. You actively join a community. You put your money where your mouth is. It's not like arbitrarily used. You actually get to, a lot of them have governance rules with them as well, which we will as well. Whereas like, as people on board, the creators and the consumers of STOA could be like, Sky, we don't want you to lead this anymore. And I'd be like, okay, cool. Because I don't want to retire. No, it's like, I mean, there's that. I don't want to work forever for sure. But also it's like, hey, if you want to take it a different direction, like it's decentralized. Like I happen to be the person who thought of it and I happen to be probably one of the largest stakeholders in it. So I might have governance influence in it, but I won't have more governance influence in it than all of the people. You know, in a normal company, it's just the board who gets to decide like what's happening. But this is like every shareholder, no matter how small, has an equal vote. Swiss Swiss colony. They get to vote. Everybody gets a vote. And you get to vote on everything that happens within it. And we get to build new governance systems for corporations. Hmm. So it seems the fair way to do it. I do think it's more fair. We're an hour and seven minutes in. This is supposed to be a 20 minute podcast. I don't know if we explained what an (laughs) NFT is, but do you have any other NFT questions? Okay, how do you get an NFT? Okay, so right now, NFTs are sold through... You can use... There's there's two ways of getting NFTs. So you can get it directly through the website of the creator in the minting. So usually get it a lot cheaper there. Or you can get it on a marketplace, like OpenSea or Remark is where mine are. Uh, because I don't have any tech people working with me yet. Like we've always done ours through the marketplace because we don't have the ability to do minting because I don't have anybody who can write smart contracts yet. So that's one of the future iterations in the world. And that allows people to get it early and cheaper. Right. And make more upside on it. Um, And what do NFTs cost? So NFTs cost everything from $400 to $60 million. Okay. Wide variety. I think I bought one for like 150 bucks the other day. I think the cheapest one I ever sold was like $200. Hmm. Yeah. But then I showed you three that I'm, I could sell for three. Like I'd literally just press enter, 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 and then I could send that to my account like in thirty minutes. Right. If I sold those. Right. But then I wouldn't have them anymore. That would be sad. That would be very sad. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I also bought them for more than that. So, who buys NFTs right now? It's like internet native native people, but it's starting to go other directions. So it's really interesting in the art world because a lot of the auction houses like understood it really fast, and that's why I was at Art Basel and stuff because all the artists like this is the same thing, and now we can like hit such a bigger audience than we never saw before. So a lot of art people and a lot of like old art people are starting to get in NFTs, which is increasing the age gap, which is good, or the age distribution. Yeah, actually that that would. Yeah. And how do you market NFTs? So you market NFTs largely through community. Um, basically the goal is to get people to believe in what you're building in your project. And a lot of people 
just build a lot of hype. Like, just like you're going to make a lot of money off this. So, like, everybody get in early and you do these like Dijon Moon Boy moves and then it just flops and it fails. But, like, really, the goal is to, you know, put. <clears throat> put kind of a lighthouse out in the world of what you believe in the world you want to see and right. try and attract as many people as you can. So most of this podcast is just an experiment to allow me to attract people who believe in the same vision I do. And that's like what I'm basically doing full time now is to put my vision out in the world and try and attract people who want to build it with me. It's very different than what it used to be where it's like, oh, I'd go to a bank and get funding and then I'd find people and they'd have to be my friends or people I knew where now I'm literally just vomiting into the world my ideas and hoping that you know it hits the right people i'm trying to increase my opportunity for serendipity it's like my serendipity uh surface area like i'm just trying to get on as many podcasts promote as many podcasts to find you know fall in love with my cto fall in love with the team of people who are going to help build it up i have the modern stoa team who's going to help and all transition into here when we do it but yeah and your focus is primarily media Change, changing media. media, yeah, yeah, media monetization systems. Nice. Which is why NFTs are so important for me. Cool. Any other questions? I think it answers it. I definitely understand it a little bit more. I know where it's a little scary, actually, because the the world as we know it is changing so fast. Well, the problem is when it does change. It's going to be calamitous when the banks fail, which they will fail. It's going to be calamitous. We're going to have hyperinflation and all this stuff's going to happen because we're not functioning properly. It's happening now. It's happening now. We're in the the process. We have professional politicians. The worst thing ever happened in the United States of America was paying politicians and letting them be there more than two years. Worst no, it's a bad incentive. Happened. It's a bad incentive. Yeah. So 100%. good luck. We're behind you. Thank you. Um, no, it is it is a tragedy, and I don't I don't say that I'm like not proud to be in the U.S. like lightly because I do think it's been a phenomenal experiment, but I do think it's too sick to fix. And the it's time to birth new systems. But the, I, I guess the question is is why. It still can be corrected. It can be corrected, I, but I like it's not like my generation spending twenty years correcting it versus going and building our own world somewhere else. It'll be twenty years. Why do you say it? But it doesn't have okay, to be years. somewhere else. It's gonna be a long ass time. I mean, fifty years ago we started women's tennis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fifty years is not a long time. It's a long time for me. I only got fifty of them. That's it. I have fifty working years. Okay. So, okay. but here's the issue: is why wouldn't you do it here? Why wouldn't you? Why do you have to do it? Because he has to move 300 million people. He has to move 300 million people, and probably 30 million of them will never think. They won't think. Why do I live in California? Why don't I live in California? Why don't you live in California? Because Austin has a group of people that are like-minded thinkers. And? The weather. And? No taxes. No taxes. So, like, if I tried to... So, like, everybody's leaving California because there's apathy. There's suffering. There's broken systems. There are taxes. And it's... There, again, that's like... There's, there's an ideological narrative that is antithetical to a world that we want to see. There's an idea that... 
like it, it's it's this very strange mind parasite that's happened here. And I noticed it when I was in high school. Like I was depressed as fucking when I was in high school. A ton of people I knew were depressed. Everyone was depressed in the, one of those beautiful places in the world. And then I moved to the Midwest, which is ugly and sick and like miserable field. and you cold, a cornfield, and everyone is happy and like grateful for their annoying families. Like I have a dope family who like I, you guys have awesome. Like you've always supported me, allowed me to do whatever I want. And I was miserable. Like, they had, like, annoying-ass parents, all of this shit going on, and everyone was happy. And I was like, what is going on here? And, like, I like to say there's something in the water. But, like, there is some sort of culture of... There's some sort of mind parasite and sickness in the population here where you feel limited of what you can do. And in Austin, it feels exponential of what I can do. The momentum... Back when you were, when your family moved to California, the momentum was in California. Absolutely. When, yeah. when Billy and I were in college, anything was possible. Anything was possible. Anything. We were just, that opportunity was ours to grab. And that doesn't feel like that here anymore. No, because there's too much government. Too much government. We're in Texas where there's like no fucking government. I can do whatever, like the opportunity is crazy. But that's why, but that's going to change in Texas too. Exactly. What what I'm saying is that I will just continue to follow the a place where people feel that they are free to build a better world. Yeah. Yeah. My goal was, was never to get rich. I just enjoyed solving issues, problems. And my first wife thought that I created problems to solve them. <laughs> Generally, she identified problems and I figured out how to solve them. Yeah. Have you ever heard of a, a complexity theory? Yes. Like every system just creates new, new issues? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm reading like this book on that right now. It's like a spoof book, like makes jokes about like the Bible and stuff. And then like, it's just kind of like, oh man, this sucks. But it is true. Like every... Back to the evolution thing. Like, we don't know the outcomes of our actions. Never do. And that's why I get a kick out of people talk about the consequences that they didn't expect. That's what life is. That's what life is. That's the funny. That's, that's again, why I tend to go towards smaller government because they make smaller mistakes. They make smaller mistakes. Again, I, like, I, I don't think it's, it's really strange that people have thought small government and private companies owning government are like the same thing which i don't agree with at all like i don't think small government means we should have private prison systems like the fact that we have a pri- that people make money off imprisonment that's insane it's that's stupid. fucking madness yeah well it's interesting i look at you and see the opportunities your opportunities aren't any more limited than ours were in fact they're more open because the internet the internet sure. didn't exist 30 years ago no it's I think my opportunities are massively huge, but there's so many people in my generation who choose to not choose those opportunities. Well, a lot of people don't understand what the opportunity is. Mm -hmm. And those are the people that, you know, you could beat them with a whip and you wouldn't get them to, to follow you. Even though you're using a technology that breaks the sound barrier. Yeah. You (laughs) you gotta, you gotta lead. You gotta lead by example. For sure. It's really fascinating. Like right now there's like, it's in vogue to like shit on billionaires. So it's like, that was also very common in like the twenties and like after the Victorian age, which is really interesting because the Victorian age, we had like 50 Elon Musk, right? We got light bulbs, railways, electricity, oil, oil, 
banking systems. Like we had the biggest massive like innovation boom in the history of humanity, all in America and the UK, all in a 30 to 50 year time span. And then we, with FDR and all these people, intentionally destroyed all of that because we demonized these people who we thought were like taking advantage of a system. And there are horrible billionaires, but Elon is not one of them. And Jeff is not one of them. Like they built things that people thought were a billion dollars in value. The shitty billionaires are the other 130 of them right, who, who just, just trade money, money around. Yeah. Who just use family money to fucking pass it forward. Like the Waltons. Like, like how many jobs has Amazon, how many like functional jobs has Amazon created and how much like value has Amazon created for every single human on earth by getting stuff to you in two days versus Walmart by shilling stuff that makes you sick and destroying every small business economy in the world. Like Elon literally like lost his entire funding, lost all of his money, put it all on the table and people still give him shit. There's this thing trending on Twitter yesterday that Elon says he lives in a $30,000 house but he's actually staying in a mansion in Austin. And he stayed there for like two weeks when he was in Austin because he wasn't at his actual house. He owns this tiny home on the spaceship, on, this, on the space, camp, space base. And so like that's what everybody loves to freak out about, the fact that Elon is staying in his friend's house that happens to be large. And it's not a mansion. It's like a house like in a neighborhood adjacent to mine. But, like, we love to shit on him constantly when this person has literally given up his entire life to build the future of humanity. But we don't look at him that way. We look at him as what he gets from the fruits of his success. He doesn't have a house. He puts all of his money back into the businesses. He just paid $11 billion in taxes, the most of any human in history. Most of any human in American history he paid in taxes this year. And simultaneously, Elizabeth Warren is tweeting about how he... Did you see that? What happened? No. Oh, my God. This is the best thing ever. Let me see if I can find it. I'll just talk through it. Essentially, what happened is Elizabeth Warren said, like, we need to tax our billionaires more. Like, and she tweeted out in a photo of Elon with an article. And then Elon responded and said, I'm, I, will, I paid $11 billion in taxes, the most of any human in history. Uh, then he said... What do you think about that, Senator Karen? Also, like, what have you invested in this year and how did you get that information to invest in it? And it was, like, hilarious. <laughs> Absolutely. And he called her Senator Karen or something like that because she was being a Karen. Because, like, a Karen. Yeah, yeah. All right, you guys talk for a bit. I'm curious to see what you talk about. I'm going to go take a pee. Talk about NFTs. Okay, Lair. Let's talk about NFTs. Well... An NFT is just a way to form a community of like-minded people and let them own it. I tried to set that up in women's tennis, and Billie Jean tried to set it up, and she wasn't successful until they almost killed women's tennis. Men and the lack of the officials, once they had it almost on the ropes, then the women would get out and do their own thing, but it's because they had no other choice. They, they got, it they put the themselves the into the corner and then right. they had to do it just to survive. Yep. Yeah. So I think it's an interesting concept. I think that the world wants to try to pull these millennial gen X people into work on their 
platform, but I don't think that's going to happen. Well, I think that decentralization that this allows allows everybody to be a leader of their own community right. and lead their community where they want to go. Right. It doesn't mean that the government has to fail, but it probably means that ultimately the way we're going in our government, I we're think, going to fail. I think what's going to happen is I don't think the government will ever fail, but I think... No, I, but I think our government will finally come around and realize that if they don't adjust, then they'll be gone. Nancy, what you don't like about our government is so many people refuse to work under the current system. And that, that, that started way before Obama. It started in the 50s when we started. Uh, There's a Fed argument that started in the 70s when we got off the gold standard and money started being worth less. And that's when wages all went down. Like our wages haven't increased. So it, like, it actually the started in the years. 50s because we started sending everything to China. You know, we started sending everything to China in no, the China, 50s. No, China was after the 50s. It was the 70s. Uh, Mao Mao died in 78. Deng, the 79 when Deng came in and started manufacturing from the U.S. Well, 72 was when uh, Nixon took us off the gold standard. Yep. Yep. 72 is when we went off the gold standard. Yeah. I ha- had to turn in all my silver certificates that I'd been collecting my whole adult life because they were no longer going to be redeemed in silver. I, like, I'm not completely sold on the whole thing, like getting off the gold standard destroyed everything. But like when you look at any graph of wages, of innovation, of like literally all meaning in the U.S., everything tanks then. Like if you look at every graph at all, and, you, you, and then you do it off inflation, that was it the all best, goes down. That was the best thing about the Singapore book, Sky, yeah. is that the Singapore book showed what went wrong with England and what went wrong with the United States was when they didn't have responsibility for their future. And, and that's where we went wrong. It was just and a basic we understanding of human 50s. incentive. It was a basic understanding of human incentive. So my- but, 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 one thing I do want to say to this is like the government will never fail. And that like you have to realize that every government has always failed. Why, why would ours not? Like this is it will fail. It's just when. Every government ever has ever always failed. The history of humanity is a history of failed governments. Right? Like every yeah. other government in the world has failed. It will fail. When they get big enough. When? When the government gets big enough and the people think that they're beyond failure, that's when they're going to fail. One thing that's really interesting is there's a book called Why Nations Fail, and it focuses on all of the Western failure of nations. And it always tends to be when people start bickering about genders <laughs> and sexual <laughs> identity. Because... It's always about sexual identity. Not about like equality of gender. It's about like having sex with like little boys or not having sex with little boys. Like Rome, they had a lot of like Rome and Greece, a lot of pedophilia. Like it's always when that stuff starts to happen and like people are like multi gendered. So, but I see I see the tipping now. I mean, I never I've been working the last thirty years, and really, in the last two years, I've seen incredible inflation. Last you're, two months. We didn't hit working. inflation until the last two months. It's just been being burdened down. It's been it was all hidden. We're gonna it, the real question is to be can what? we can we can we can we raise interest rates? If we don't raise interest rates, we'll keep having inflation. So what like in but so if why we raise are interest we keeping rates, it down? Because because then you they get don't to want borrow. to crash. They don't want the so stock. you can borrow debt. Exactly. So when you raise 
when you start to raise interest rates and people who owe money owe more money and then people get scared because interest rates are how much it costs to borrow money. Right, right. So that means that your mortgage is going to get higher. It means that... But if you're in a fixed mortgage, you're not going higher. It really depends on how solid that fixed mortgage is because a lot of things were fixed mortgages. The whole entire subprime crisis was like, we're told this is, they expected it was like 10 years at this rate. It didn't change. Yeah, but they don't have those mortgages anymore. No, they do. They've started doing subprime mortgages again. They started like three years after. Took about three years for it to start happening again. If I remember that correctly. Somebody can fact check me, but pretty sure about three years. Nobody was, nobody's punished for that. There was no consequence other than the American people. One person went to jail. Everybody else got money. And we kept the same system. <laughs> Changed nothing. Yeah. There was no creative destruction. We bailed out all of the people all who the fucked banks. up. Yeah. All of the car companies, all of the banks, all of the people who fucked us. And that's what socialism is. It's state, state-owned, state-funded things. But it's socialism. Like, we have this very, like, again, like, I'm, I'm a very much a capitalist person, but I'm so sensitive to people who hate capitalism because it's like they look at America and we say we're capitalists, so they think this is capitalism. But what it is, and they say this all the time, is like this is socialism for the rich and capitalism for the poor, which it should be the opposite. Right. It should be capitalism for the rich right. and socialism for the poor. Like If we want to be a government that continues to exist, we need to invest in the health of our country, in the education of our country. We need to create an equality of opportunity we need to allow we want to have the fucking like we want to have somebody that is like was going to be aborted and is born and is adopted through multiple families to have the same opportunity that i had in education like that's the dream and have the like be able to get through their trauma and be able to go and believe in something they can build and then to go into a capitalist world where they can do whatever they want and build a future they want to see and like succeed but like, they have to the be able to eat. They have to be able to have access to good education. 100%. They have to be able And that's to why you need, you need socialism for the poor and capitalism for the rich. But Nancy, education isn't what you think education is. Well, that's education, what we were talking about earlier. Okay, education is how you can create your own opportunities. That's the nice thing about the AFTs. NFTs, they allow people <laughs> to create their own. They do, 100%. And, you get and that's, your community. that's the difference, Nancy. That's, it's, but, but not everybody's a creator. No, no, no. But everybody, Nancy. no, but the, the, human, the human mind has the opportunity to imagine something that doesn't exist. Look at, which is like a fundamental human principle. Look at the guy Homo that sapien created principle. computers. I mean, the really, the guy that made all the money off of Microsoft. He didn't graduate from college. His partner, Paul Allen, and now he's a doctor from college. None of these guys went through the educational system because the educational system made them less likely to succeed. But Our education have- system should be for empowerment. It should it should empower curiosity. Yeah. The fact that you put five year olds in seats and they have to react to bells and do timetables like that's literally was an archaic system, which is what we talked about earlier. It was like, and you're asking the question, like, what about those people? And because you come from, like, your family was that style of person. And also, like, David's super into labor stuff, you know. It's like this labor movement. And, like, it really sucks. Like, I have a lot of friends that are really into labor, and they love to hate on, labor. on billionaires. Like, I'm not, I'm not into unions. Like, I'm not into unions. Right. My father wasn't into unions either, but I knew when they were, be- 
employees were being mistreated, they could their only protection was forming a union. Yeah, yeah but so I this, see this is, unions this. on the other end. I I am not into unions at all. So like I I think that like unions are necessary in a corrupt system. If we if we had and this is the same thing like. The fact that in a lot of like you always can tell a sinister country if they only allow you to have one passport. That's a sinister country because they are trying to monopolize. They're trying to do that idea that like if you leave here, you're fucked. You can't come home. You can't experience your family. And that's malicious organizations, too, who say like this is the best job you're ever going to get. You should be grateful to work here. I don't care if you don't get to see your family, you're killing yourself. Billy King was told by the USLTA was, hey, if you don't, if you do this breakaway tournament, you can never play under us never again, do that again in your whole life. And so I think unions are a, are, are a Band-Aid fix to a systematic problem where really we need to have a world where people have opportunity. market opportunities where it's like, I can, and that's what, that's what the internet does. Because before, and especially now, since the, like, thank God for the pandemic in this way. If you're an, a thought worker, you used to have to go into work, but now you can live with your family, be with the people you want to be with, and work for 47 different companies. Like, it doesn't matter who you work for. So now unions become less valuable. But right. in a broken system, they're necessary because you need somebody to defend against the evil. What do you want to talk about, Mom? No, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> the, I just, right. you can wait, okay. finish. you go. You're going to say, I do. The, the only thing that I'm upset about is I'm upset during the pandemic that people that stayed home and chose not to work and, and lived off the government okay. when they could have been working and should have been working when they were collecting. What do you mean should? Well, everybody, see, because I believe everybody should be working to contribute to society. I know, but, but, Dad, but, Mom, 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 you have to realize that, like, those people, let's say they're like my age people. Right. At 18, they were told to take on $30,000, dollars $100,000 of student debt for a job that didn't exist at the other end, for an experience that wasn't very valuable. They were minors coerced to take on something that they will never get rid of. You can't default on it. Right. You can't go bankrupt. They see the older generations polluting the world they care about, living a life they don't want to live, getting divorced, being miserable, saying drugs are illegal, putting black people in jail, treating Mexicans like shit whole country people. And then you say, like, no, but you have to come in and be a part of this system or else you're a piece of shit. Fuck that. Like, the, the best thing they can do in my mind is be like, in like. So I don't take the money from the government. No, take it. Why not? It's don't. offered to you. Yeah, but. And you get to live. But you get to just live your life. But you're not contributing. Why so should you. Do you know you what they're doing with their time, Katie? Free. Mom, do you know what they're doing with their yeah, time? Yeah, they're doing NFTs. No, nobody who's doing NFTs <laughs> is taking money from the government. And <laughs> NFTs. You get 1200 bucks a month from the government, mom. You think you're going to be able to do NFTs with that? Like no. You're getting, that's so, nobody nobody okay. is doing that. The people who are doing that are restaurant workers. They're just making food for their family now. It's photographers, and they're just taking photos of things they actually care about. It's artists. 
It's people who wanted to pursue something with their life, and now they have enough money where they don't have to go fucking work at McDonald's and be miserable and exposed to bad food and have a horrible life and want to kill themselves. They actually get to just spend time how they want to spend time. They get to be human. It's crazy because technology was supposed to allow us to do that, and instead we have the most depressed, most anxious, most suicidal civilization in the history of humanity. Most people in jail. Okay, but how are these restaurants going to be able to serve the people? They are not going to be able to yeah, because so- you don't need servers because we have robots. Like we have, we already have technology to replace them. It's already there. The it- only, like if you look at Sergio's or Katie's restaurant, why don't they have a POS system? It costs like a grand. They could get rid of a lot of waiters probably. Because they take cash. Cash. No taxes. You go to the Delta, you go to any corporation that's big. Like one thing COVID did too is it showed that like how annoying waiters are and they're unnecessary. I'm sorry, waiters. Like your job's necessary if you're listening to this. I care about you, but also <laughs> stop doing that. Because <laughs> it's it is going to go away. It's going to go away. It's going away fast. Start okay. doing something else. Chefs, keep doing what you're doing. Artists, keep doing what you're doing. Of cars, and there's so many robots, all the jobs that used to be done by human beings that were necessary are all being replaced. They're being done better by robots. Yep. There's less problems with new cars. Everything works when you buy a car because they're not built by humans. They're built by robots. Dude, it's like when I start to like, so I used to have to like try so hard to be a robot, like try so hard to like spell correctly or like, do things on time or like do things in a system. And like, I was able to do it enough that I got like, got good grades and like passed through all these, but it was like me trying really hard to do something that I'm actually not meant to do. Whereas it's like so easy for me to do stuff like this year, I've made more money than I've ever made in my entire life. I've also lost like more money because of the crypto market, which is wild, but it didn't sell. So we're coming back, but it's like, and it was a year of me just like being myself. And, like, I think that every person should have that opportunity. I don't think they should be forced to be part of a system. Go, go, go work at a restaurant. Like, and they've never been asked the question, like, what do you want to do? They've just been told, like, oh, now go get a job. People ask me why I do DoorDash, Sky. But, Mom, you're not allowing them to have that opportunity if you're saying you have to go work at a restaurant. No, I'm not telling them that they have to go work at a but restaurant. But the reason they're working at a restaurant is because they but actually they have, have the work. freedom now where they actually get to sit and choose. They only had it for, like, fucking six months. Only six months. No, of time. they had a year and a half. Well, I, I guess I was thinking of this year. Sorry. They had, a, yeah, they had year a year and a half. And, a half. and they got to decide what they wanted to do with their lives. And, and decided, a lot of them I have. don't want to do with a restaurant. Right, right. So so my guess my question is where are those people? What are they doing? They're doing something else. They're probably not doing NFTs because there's a bit of barrier entry entry. Right. Most of the people in NFTs are they're leaving like two hundred and fifty thousand dollar a year jobs to come do this. Yeah. But one thing I do want to say is like the idea is correct, right? Like, cause people want to contribute too. we have an inherent desire to contribute. The, 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 the problem is mom is the game that your generation has set up for my generation. It's a really shitty game. It's like the end of the chess match that my the dad and I are playing where I just yeah. had my King and I'm just like, cool. What? I just get to keep making moves to never progress, never escape, any, like if I would have stayed at Lily my whole life, so then I would have gotten my MBA at a top 10 MBA school, would have just partied for two years, and then I would be chained to Lily for another five. Then I would have been 33. 
And then Caroline and I would be married and I'd be miserable about it because I wasn't actually living the life that I wanted to live. And then like we'd have these kids and I'd be living in Carmel, Indiana. And then at 33, I'd be like, cool, now I'm free of Lily. But then we'd have these kids and I'd be like, oh shit, I can't really leave leave now because I have to take care of them. And Caroline would be like, well, what if you quit and like we can't pay for our kids' private education because our public school systems are failing? And I'd be like, oh shit, I can't do that. And then at 40, I'd like sit in a mirror and I'd look and I'd be like, I can't do this anymore. And I just shoot myself in the head. <laughs> that would be very sad. But that was like, that's the, that's the, that right. was my path. Right. I saw that path every day I went to Lily, mm-hmm. which is why it's mind boggling. It took me three years to leave because that was my experience every day. Like, if you would have seen me at Lily, it was so funny. Like, luckily, like, for some reason, people liked me enough and thought I was like creative and thoughtful and smart enough. Like, I stopped wearing collared shirts. I stopped, like, shaving. I would just... And people wanted me on their teams and wanted me to do things. And I just, like... I almost got promoted when, like, during the time period where I wasn't working for, like, six months there. Literally, somebody was going to promote me to, like, a huge job. And they were just waiting for the position to be approved by their manager. And I was like, this is so crazy. Like, I haven't worked since February. It's June. And, like... And I just keep showing up for these interviews for this one job. And I'm wearing, like, literally these clothes. There was one job where they wanted to offer me, and it was a promotion, and they wanted me to have the job. And he was like, so, like, scale 1 to 10, how excited are you for this job? And I said, he's like, be honest. And I was like, probably like a 5. And the guy's (laughs) face was like, he's like, what? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, not really interested. (laughs) And then I got a call from my friend Dan Lyons, and he was like, what the fuck did you do? He's like, he said... Be honest. And he was like, Sky, never be honest. And I was like, I'm good. <laughs> it was so funny. Like watching his face fall was like literally one of the funniest things on earth. Uh, well, we're happy you're happy. Definitely happy. That's good. But it's it, the thing, the reason why like people talk about this so much, and it is like network marketing, like you said. Okay. And so people really love to call crypto a Ponzi scheme, which like if we want to talk about Ponzi schemes, Everything is a Ponzi scheme. The entire economy of the world is based on the belief that more people will get into it and we will grow. The entirety of our market systems is that we will grow every quarter, either because we will increase utility or we will increase supply of people who want it. And the reality is everything's going to go up in price and what you create is going to be less valuable. That's what's going to happen. Technology is inherently deflationary. Other goods are inherently inflationary. Right. And we are hitting this weird place where, like, you can have an, again, iPhone. Entire budget of NASA, smaller computer system than this. What? We went to the moon in the 50s, 60s? On your phone. When did we go to the moon? 1960. Was JFK five? 63? We can look it up. Let's see. Oh, you Siri. Hey, Siri. Hey, when did we go to the moon? 1969. 69. 69. So more technology in my phone than the the entirety of technology that went to the moon. And I paid $200 for that with a trading program. $200 versus the entire NASA budget at that time. More technology in this bad boy. Deflationary. Deflationary. Whereas housing, I would argue, I would argue, I would argue that 
the housing products in the United States on, on average are worse than they were 50 years ago. There are more toxic materials in them, more phthalates. Like there was a part in the 80s and 90s where we got really into leads. So that wasn't good. But like 50 years ago when it was like natural wood, concrete, steel, before way we, stronger. Before we did lead and paint on everything. Before the leaded period, like before yeah, asbestos. It was way stronger, way better, way more willing to last. So our, it's and now, it's, if you look at the real estate market, what is it like? Seven hundred percent higher, a thousand percent higher. It's forty eight percent higher in Austin from last year. So it's like there's no there's no increase in technological value. It's just inflated. It just inflated away. Inflated. It's just the cost of production. And while this happened, wages didn't go up at all. Wages didn't go up at all. Yeah. Wages have decreased. Unless you go into embark and just invest in the future and take a risk, start living in discords. So, mom, what's an NFT? A non fungible fungible token. What is the uh, difference between a NFT and a crypto asset? That- it's one's fungible and one's non. And then, what is a fungible? What does it mean to be fungible? Dollar bills. To change it into dollars. No, 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 no. Remember dollar oh, bill yes. pile of dollar bills. Remember, if I give you a dollar bill, it's it's one to one currency, one to one. It's fungible. You can exchange it's fungible. one to one. Yeah. And so, what does non fungible mean? It's not exchangeable. It, no, no, no. It's unique. Oh, it's that's right. It's unique. It only has its own value. Yeah. If you put, if I give you a hundred dollars, hundred dollars of ones, and I give you a one dollar, you give me a one and one back. If you give me your NFT right. and you put it here, it's like a deck of cards. Right. Each one of those deck cards is non-fungible. Right. And I give you, you give me a nine of spades and I give you a nine of hearts. You go, no, that's not what you gave me. Right. It's not the same. I got it. Or I give you, you give me an ace of diamonds and I give you back a two. You go, that's, fuck you. That's, that's not, bad for me. Right. This is unique. Yeah. It's the only one of its kind. Only one of its kind. Okay. Let's see what other questions do we have. What is the blockchain? I guess I didn't answer that one. We didn't go through that. It's the currency. It's all blockchain the- is a public ledger. That's the best way to think about it. It's a public ledger that only goes one way. So once, essentially, like once a transaction has occurred, it cannot be deleted or reversed. So it's, it's a forever public ledger. Imagine writing in concrete. Yeah, forever. Or, or think about like uh, the mosquito and amber from Jurassic Park. It's like captured in time. And it, it's, I don't want to go into the math of right. it, but basically they use at least with Bitcoin, they use an elliptic curve parabola that uh, is like a trapdoor equation. So you can multiply it, but you can't divide it. Okay. So, so blockchain, but but doesn't that, isn't like that, that the, I thought that was like the system for Ethereum and Bitcoin and NFTs. NFTs. Yes, yeah, it is. So it's like a governing system for those. It's a computer system. It's a it's a way to store data. Store data. Okay. It's a way Got to it. store data. It's a public. So ledger is just a right. storage of data. It's a right. public ledger that's completely transparent. That's the transparency opacity thing we're talking about. Yep. And that cannot be changed right. because the only way to change it would be able to guess a private key, which is there are ten to the seventy-seven options of private keys. There are ten to the eighty decimals options or uh, atoms, atoms in the universe. So the ability, those numbers are very different, but they're quite close. The ability to guess is impossible. Right. Monopoly money, didn't really talk about that. 
Um, how do you get an NFT? Talked about that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Anything for other moms out there? So I think for the moms out there, it's still. I think understanding it is is understanding how it works. Um, I think we have to accept that it's out there. I think we have to realize that things are changing. Um, what do you think, Claire? I think it's uh, more hope for the future that you have the opportunity that everybody has an opportunity like this. I agree with that. I think like my whole life, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I think when I was a little kid, people would always ask, what do you want to be? I'd be like an entrepreneur. And they'd be like, for what? And I'd be like, I don't know yet. It doesn't exist. I think it's exciting. It's definitely exciting. Yeah. And I think that... um... It's just, it's hard to wrap your hands, your arms around because it's so vague and so on you, you know, not. It's actually incredibly specific, but it's on the internet, which is like yeah. for people who are non-native to the internet, it's difficult to understand. Right. Which is why I usually start at property rights. Cause like anybody who understands the value of property rights in a world, like the idea that you own something, like if we go back to Singapore, like one of the ways he invests, he got all of different nations or different um, nationalities, different ethnicities to get together was he started like giving really good loans for property rights because he knew that if people owned what they lived in, they would take care of it. Right. Um, and so now the internet doesn't have property rights. It's actually very centralized since Web 2.0, since the social media and Google companies came up. And now we can actually give people ownership of what they create on the right, internet. Right, right. So it's property it, rights. It gives internet. people a lot more freedom to choose. It definitely does. And I think that's one of the biggest assets. Without a doubt. Biggest benefits. Without a doubt. So it has changed my mind in thinking that it's not real. Um, and yeah. I just think people are going to have to be a lot more open Just open as real minded. as anything else. Yep. One of my favorite quotes of all time, we can end on this, is... Uh, let me look it up. But it's Dumbledore and Harry from Harry Potter. And as it were, and it's on the topic of being real... So the quote basically is Dumbledore talking to Harry and Harry says, and this is from the final book. And Harry says, but Dumbledore, what if this is all just happening inside of my head? And Dumbledore says, of course it is happening inside of your head, Harry, but why on earth should that mean it is not real? That's true, Sky. That's true. Uh, thank you guys. First podcast. First podcast. Thank you. All right. Seize the day, y'all. Appreciate you listening. Peace. <laughs>